authority. This is the kind of the main point of the, of the series. When we come under authority, we actually get authority and power. In God's kingdom, when we surrender to God, we don't lose these things. And I think that's one of the lies of the enemy that he, that he throws at us, that if we're surrendering to God, we're going to miss out on life. We're going to miss out on what we want to do and the, the things that are pleasurable and things that are good that everyone else is doing. I don't know if you know, but surrender your life to God is a life that has the most joy and most peace and honestly the most pleasure. There's no life like surrendering to the Lord. The enemy wants to lie to you and tell you that it's not, it's just boring, you can't do things. No, there are many things we can do when we surrender to God and we can only experience those things when we do it by faith. So I want to encourage you this morning to do that. Last week we talked about our relationship to pastors, to spiritual leaders, to mentors. Honestly, this was a really hard sermon for me because I'm the pastor. I'm the one telling you, hey, you need to come under the spiritual leader, pastor's authority. And so the enemy, just quite honestly, really attacked me the next, uh, the next few days through the middle of the weekend. Um, and, I, and I really felt the need to share this sermon last week so straightforward because I don't think many of us really understand how pastors, mentors, spiritual leaders impact and influence our life. I don't, think we, I don't think we realize how much authority they have in our lives. And uh, I was been talking to, I think I was talking to some leaders a couple of months ago about some of the issues they were having in, in their ministries and groups. And, and I really felt like we needed to talk about this issue of authority. I really didn't think it was going to be during the pandemic. I really would like to share this sermon while we're here. Uh, but the Lord brought it up. And I think it's important that we have this conversation about these different areas of authority that we are to surrender to, because when we surrender to them, we actually receive blessing. Um, whenever we surrender to and submit to these uh, authority figures in our life, there's actually protection, there's actually wisdom, there's actually guidance that comes. And so uh, Hebrews 13, verse 17 is a verse we read a couple of weeks in a row, but it says, Hebrews, it says, obey your leaders, verse 17, and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account. So I, along with other pastors and leaders, are going to have to give an account for you. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And then last week, I spent a lot of time explaining uh, why pastors have been given a level of authority in the body of Christ. It's because they, they, are going, they have a great responsibility. And this is the truth. I, and I think of First Peter, it says, not many of you should be pastors and teachers because we are going to be judged with a greater strictness. And I want to just read real quickly First Peter 5, verses 1 through 5. In this passage, um, Peter is talking about how uh, leaders are to, how they are to shepherd the flock and cover them. And so we didn't read this last week, but I wanted to read it uh, today. It says, and now a word to you who are elders in the churches, just so you know, Pastors, a little bit of, um, uh, organi- there's a, I'm going to explain a little bit of the organization. In our church, in every church, there should be a group of elders. And as elders, I'm actually one of the elders, and we have a few other elders in our congregation. Um, I am the head elder, I'm the, since I'm the pastor, but there are a group of us that are submitted to one another, surrendered to one another, talking with one another. My dad, who you saw earlier, is one of our elders, and I and we're consistently talking to him about different things. And so I'm also under authority. And there's, I have a mentor who I, I talk to from time to time when I have questions about different, uh, different things going on in the church. And so uh, I am also under authority the way that we are under authority. So he's talking to the elders. 
Uh, I am an elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, and I too will share in his glory when he's revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. So he's going to tell them a few things. Verse 2. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, for what, for what you'll get out of, not for what you'll get out of it, but because you're eager to serve God. Verse 3. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. Verse 4. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. And then verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So in this, this last verse, when he says, God opposes the proud, but, but embraces the, uh, gives grace to the humble, embraces the humble, God is telling all of us that we need to humble ourselves and come under the right authorities that God has in our life. Now, I know this is really hard, this idea of coming authority, under authority is really hard because a lot of us have been hurt in the past, and I've certainly have been hurt in the past. I wanted to share a quick story with you. It's about a, it's about a Nazi uh, survivor, a um, Jewish survivor during the Nazi regime, uh, during the Holocaust. His name was Viktor Frankl, and he was a prisoner at Auschwitz, which was, I believe, a death camp. There was a concentration camps and death camps. During the Holocaust, his mother and brother were, uh, his mother was killed by Nazis uh, before they got to the camps, and his wife and brother died in the concentration camps. But this is what he said. I want you to listen carefully to what he said. He said, I will be happy, and I will not hate the Nazis. Nothing that they do can make me hate them. Did you hear that? Nothing that they do. They had already taken many of his family members' lives. He says, nothing that they do can make me hate them. And he ended up living until, until 1997. He was a motivational speaker, author, and, and doctor. And I want you just to picture this. If he could say, nothing that they do to me can make me hate them, then who are we? I don't think any of us have had a group of people kill multiple family members. But if he can say, hey, I'm not going to hate these people, but I'm actually going to love them. I'm going to continue to care for my fellow mankind, even if they are Nazis. What do you think we should be doing? This is our goal, and, and this is very hard. All of us have been through, as I said, tough situations, but all, our goal should be to say it doesn't matter what someone says to us or does to us. We're going to say, hey, I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm, gonna, I'm going to help you in the ways that I can. I'm going to trust you in the ways that I can. I'm going to love you and, and be there for you uh, no matter what you do to me. And guess what? That is actually what Jesus did. Did you know that Jesus was uh, persecuted? He was uh, spit on while he was on his way to the cross, but he still died for us. If, we, if he can do that, we can do that too. He has given us the power to do that. And so our goal is to continue to submit to the proper authority, no matter what any pastor or leader has said to us, because we know when we come under authority, God protects us and we get his authority. And so Today we're going to be talking about King, King Saul. The next few weeks we're going to be talking about King Saul and King David. I love the, sto- the stories in, in 1 Samuel because um, there are many things that we can learn from them. Now, King Saul was the first king of Israel. And you may not know this, but Israel was never supposed to have a king. They were not created to have a king. Whenever they came out of Egypt, they were given a, a judge, a spiritual leader, Moses. And then when they got into the promised land, Joshua became that judge and then God raised up other judges, but they were never meant to have a king. They had judges for about 200 years, and then they, then they rose up, went to the last judge, which, who, who was Samuel, and said, 
we want a king. I want to pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4, and I want to go through this passage real quickly before we talk about Saul. It says, Then all the elders gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. Verse 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So God tells Samuel, Samuel, they're not rejecting your advice. You have told them not to have a king. They're actually rejecting me. So don't take offense. Verse 8. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up, out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. He said, they haven't served me with the whole heart from the day they came out of Egypt. And today they are, expre- they are demonstrating that they are, not, they are continuing not to do that. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. I'm not going to read these verses, but I'm, I'm going to paraphrase. In the next four to five verses... Uh, Samuel says, hey, if you're going to have a king, the king is going to take your sons, he's going to take your daughters, he's going to take some of your, the best fields, the best, best vineyards <clears throat> that are in your possession, he's going to take your servants, he's going to start taxing you, and you're going to come under his authority and really, to a degree, come under his oppression because you're asking for a king. Look at verse 19. This, is what, this was the people's response uh, to Samuel. He said, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. Um, Verse 20, this is why they wanted a king, that we may also be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Look at that carefully. The reason they wanted a king is so that they could have somebody who would uh, go out and fight their battles for them. God, though, already wanted to play that role in their life. If you remember, he had taken them out of Egypt. He had delivered them from all the nations when they went in the promised land, but they still wanted a king to rule over them. I want you to listen carefully to the statement. They were willing to enslave themselves and their children, I mentioned that, to someone so they felt protected and provided for. I want to ask you a simple question. Who are you enslaving yourself to to meet your needs? The children of Israel had God Almighty as their king, as their protector and provider. There, was, there was a, had already been a track record of many books and chapters where God proved to the people that he would protect them, but they still wanted a king. I want you just to close your eyes just for a moment. Think about the different needs that you have in your life and just, just ask the Lord, Lord, am I looking to someone or something to meet my needs? Many people get married because they feel lonely. I think if many, if many couples were, were honest, they would say, yeah, I, I love this person, but I really wanted to get married or chose this person because so I didn't feel alone. Did you know you can, be, you can still feel alone and be married? God has brought me a long way. I'm still single. God has brought me a long way from believing this lie that I need, needed somebody or need somebody to not feel alone. Um, just being honest, there are, many, there are many nights when I'm just laying in bed and I feel the Lord in my room. And I'm like, Lord, thank you for being with me. Who are you looking to? Who are you enslaving yourself to so that your needs are met? I want to encourage you. God is your king. 
All we need to do is begin to confess our sins and say, Father, forgive me for lifting up my job, for lifting up my family, my kids, to meet some of these needs. All I need is you. God is a much better king than these things. Eventually, God told Samuel to give them a king. In 1 Samuel 10, <clears throat> excuse me, 1 Samuel 10, Saul anoint, was anointed to be king. And if you read the Bible, he was, very, he was kingly looking. He was a head taller than the, next, than the average man in Israel. And the people were very pleased with Saul. And so he was anointed to be king. And although Saul started well, he, he sought the Lord initially. He fought some battles. He, the Spirit of God came on him and, and defeated some of uh, Israel's enemies. Although he started well and did some good things, he quickly disobeyed the Lord. And I want to look at two things this morning that he did in disobeying the Lord. And I think we can really learn something from Saul this morning. First Samuel 13. And I mentioned this story a couple of, of months ago. Can I have a cup of water, please? Thank you. In First Samuel 13, uh, we see that, that Saul is fighting against uh, the Philistines. The Philistines, if you read in, in the, the Israelite story, they were their, the arch nemesis. They were the their greatest enemy uh, during this period of time. And during this time, thank you so much. And during this time, sorry, my throat's getting dry. Um, during this time, uh, the Philistines were coming against Saul and the people were scattering from Saul. So there was this great army coming against Saul and Saul only had like three or 4,000 men. And the Bible says that the men begin to, to leave him. Samuel reaches out to Saul and says, hey, he sends a messenger and tells Saul, Saul, don't, um, he says, wait until I come and then we'll offer a sacrifice to the Lord and see what he wants us to do about this. And so we're going to pick up, we're going to pick up the story from there. First Samuel 13, verse 8. It says, he waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattering from him. Saul, go back to eight real quick. Thank you. Saul became fearful and scared, and he had a decision to make. Is he going to trust the Lord? Is he going to surrender to Samuel's authority? And we find out that Samuel is actually Saul's pastor because Samuel delivered or communicated the word of God to Saul. And so Saul had to make a decision. Am I going to wait for Samuel and surrender, in, in essence, surrender to God's authority, or am I going to do something? We'll see what he does. Verse 9. They were leaving him, and so Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Saul did not pass the test, because, and he didn't submit to God's authority. Everyone around him knew that it wasn't his job to offer the sacrifice, but he did it anyways. He decided to exercise his own authority. How many of y'all have been there before? When you've been in a tough situation, it's really hard, and you know what you're supposed to do. You know what God is asking you to do. You've had other people around you give you, give you advice about what you should and shouldn't do, but you actually say, you know what? I, I, I'm too scared. I'm too nervous. I got to do something about this. I got to reach out. I got to talk to somebody. I got I to gotta make some moves. I got to do these things. How many of you out there have done that before? We all have. We've all been in this situation. This is the situation that Saul found himself in. Look at verse 10. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Verse 11. Samuel said, 
What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, you didn't come, Samuel, when you said you would come. I like how Saul's making excuses. And like all of us, how many of y'all have felt the Lord speak something to your heart, and you're like, and you know God told you to do something, do something or to wait, and he didn't come when he said he would come? Is that an excuse then to begin to take the situation into our hands? No. We, what we actually should do is to continue to wait. But many of us fall into this temptation because we point, we make excuses and say, God, you said you would come and you haven't. And so I have to do something. This was Saul. So I don't want us to be too hard on Saul because we are, have, have all been in similar situations. He says, you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Mikmash. They had come together. Verse 12, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal because Samuel hasn't come along and told me what I'm supposed to do, and I've not sought the favor of the Lord, so I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. We talked about this story a couple months ago when we talked about fear when we were first getting into the situation with COVID-19. Fear will always force you to do something. If you feel like you're being forced to do anything, you need to take take a step back and ask yourself, is the Lord asking me to do this, or is, the, or is my fear of what's going to happen causing me to make a decision? The spirit of fear wants us to look at the situation that we're in and, and try to communicate to us, lie to us, and say, God is not big enough to take care of you. The Bible, the, the, the Bible doesn't say this uh, explicitly, but we know because Saul was fearful that the spirit of fear visited Saul and, try, and painted a picture that Saul was not going to be okay unless he exercised his own authority instead of waiting for the Lord to show up through the prophet Samuel. The spirit of fear visited, visited uh, Saul. And I, want to, I just want to just take a second and encourage you. Saul didn't pass the test, and many of us haven't passed the test, but as a church, you guys, and I, and I, and I mentioned this last week, how we gave this a $45,000 offering to marriage today, something that the Lord had put on my heart a while back. You guys have not, at least financially, have not responded to the spirit of fear that has wanted to come into this area. You know, tithing is, is it's, not, it's never easy, but tithing is definitely not easy in the middle of an economic downturn like we're in right now. And I just want to encourage you that you guys uh, financially have not responded to the spirit of fear, but have continued to give I was telling, uh, I was telling um, some of our staff how our giving has gone up tremendously, and it, and it really is a testament to you guys continuing. I've heard testimony after testimony how you said, hey, I know that they're cutting the hours at my job. I know they're doing this, but I'm going to put God first because I've seen God show up when I put him first. So I just want to encourage you that you guys in the area of, of giving have not responded to the spirit of fear. And I want to encourage you as we continue to process uh, the pandemic and what's going to be happening, not to respond to the spirit of fear. God is in control. When we are serving him, we are safe in his arms. It doesn't mean that we're never going to go through anything or that we may not even get, that we may uh, not get sick. We may get sick. We may go through these things, but we're in God's hands and we're, we're going to be okay. So we see that Saul responded poorly to the spirit of fear and took matters into his own hands. Look at verse 13. This is what Samuel said. He said, Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. 
He says, but because you didn't do that, verse 14, now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. This is the ironic thing. I love this part. Uh, I love this truth about this story. The ironic thing was that Saul thought the Philistines were going to take his throne away from him. But the truth was God actually took it away from him. The enemy got Saul to believe a lie. And this is what fear does. Whenever we respond to fear, we believe a lie. And we actually, in that specific situation, leave under the authority and covering of God. And we come under the authority and covering of the enemy. Or our our own covering and authority. And as we've learned, if you've lived long enough, you don't have much authority or power. Saul was given the throne because he came under authority. Um, But when he left the authority, God took the kingdom away from him. Now, there's a second story. The Bible doesn't say this, but as I was preparing this message, I really thought, in the first story, God told Saul that the kingdom was going to be taken away from him. And then in the second story, we're going to see that Saul disobeyed again. But I really think that it's possible that God could have given Saul a second chance in, in this second story. Saul, God is going to ask Saul to do something, and I really think that God could have changed his mind and, and given the kingdom back to Saul. So we see, I, I just kind of see some of God's mercy in this story. And so it doesn't matter what we've gone through. God's mercy is great. His, his uh, love is uh, long-suffering, meaning he suffers with us for a long time. And I'm so thankful for that. And so we see in this story in 1 Samuel 15 that God commands Saul to go and destroy the Amalekites. He tells Saul, I want you to destroy all that they have. And when he says all that they have, he means everything, men, women, children, uh, animals. And I know that for some of us in the 21st century, that's really hard to understand, but we see, we know that God is a just God and that he, he as I mentioned, he is long-suffering in many areas, but there comes a moment when God has to take judgment on people. And we know this because one day when we stand before the Lord, if we don't surrender our life to the Lord, we will have had a lifetime to come to him and surrender to him. But if we don't, then we, then we are going to find ourselves without the Lord forever in the lake of fire. So, until Samuel, um, I want you to destroy them because of how they treated the Israelites and because they rejected me for so long. What does Saul do, though? Saul uh, destroys almost everybody, but he keeps the king and he keeps the best of the flock for, uh, for himself. And he's going to make an excuse of why he kept the flock. We're going to see that in just a minute. Um, but he only partially obeyed. And I, I think for some of us, we could say, hey, you know, he destroyed everyone else and only, only kept the king and only kept uh, the best of the flock. Let me ask you this. Okay, let's say you ask your kids to do something and they partially obey. Does that work with you? Does that work in your family? Hopefully it doesn't because if you allow partial obedience, then you're opening up a door to disobedience and kids don't know any better. They will take that open door and they will run with it. In, God, in, in the family setting, it doesn't work, and in God's family, it doesn't work either. Look what, Sam, look what uh, God told Samuel once he saw that Saul didn't obey. Look at verse 10. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I've made Saul king, for he, has turned, uh, he's turned, for he turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord, 
all night. Verse 12. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul has come to Carmel, and behold, he has set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on, and went to Gilgal. Hold it, hold it, uh, verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Look what Saul says. He says, and in the New Living Translation, it says, May the Lord bless you, I have carried out the Lord's commands. Look at Saul's response. Samuel goes to meet him, and, he, and, and, and Saul says, and, so, and we see that Saul made a monument for himself. We're going to come back to that in just a second. I think this is uh, just interesting to see why he did this. He, said, he meets Samuel says, hey, I've carried out the Lord's command. It's so good to see, me, see you, Samuel. I've just gone from destroying uh, the Amalekites, and I've come back and I'm just so glad because we have done what the Lord wanted. This is what Samuel said. Did he, and did he carry out God's command? Partially, but he didn't carry it out <clears throat> completely. Look, wait, we'll look at what Samuel says in verse 14. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Verse 15. Saul said, They have brought them from the Malachites. He said, It's true that the army brought them for the people's Spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. You know what this tells me? You know what Saul's response tells me? He didn't say it outright, but he actually said, Hey, God, I actually have a better idea than you do. He says, You told me to destroy all, destroy everything, Every, not just the, the weak, the weak um, animals and the weak cattle. Um, you told me to. Uh, You've told me to destroy everything, but I'm going to keep the best of it, and I'm going to keep the king, and I'm going to sacrifice all these animals to you. So what that tells me is, is Saul thought they had, he had a better idea about what was supposed to happen than God did. He said God, he, he probably thought in his head, God would want me to do this. I know, he, I, know I think he to, Samuel told me to destroy, to destroy all the best cattle, but I really think God would want me to do this. Look what Samuel said to Saul. He says in verse 16, Stop, I will tell you what the Lord told me this night. And he said to him, speak. This is what Samuel says. And I'm paraphrasing. He says, Saul, stop. Stop. Stop talking. You are talking nonsense. How many of us have been like Saul where God has told us to do something, but in our own mind, in our own way of thinking, we, we think that we have a better idea about how things should go. Did you know that God will sometimes send a Samuel to you to tell you to stop? Just look back at your life, just to take a quick inventory. When someone you loved, respected, pastor, a parent, brother, sister, friend, told you, hey, you're kind of, you shouldn't be doing that. You're kind of going the wrong direction. Just, would you just hold on a second? I'm not, maybe what you're not doing is wrong, but let, you're going too fast. Let's make sure this is what you're supposed to be doing. Let's take a moment and pray and ask the Lord, Lord, am I supposed to be doing this? We all find ourselves in this situation. And, and, and Saul found himself in this situation believing that he had done the right thing, believing that he was doing the right thing, but he was actually doing the exact opposite of what God wanted Again, Samuel was uh, Saul's spiritual leader, mentor, pastor, but he did not come under authority. Look at verse 17. And Samuel told him, Though you are little in your own eyes, 
Are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? I want you to listen carefully to this. this is really important. Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Are you not the king? The Lord has anointed you king over Israel. This is very interesting and this is actually another sermon. But the reason that Saul was acting out of character, out of character as a king in listening to the Lord and obeying his commands is because he didn't know his identity. This is very interesting. Look back at verse 17. He says, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Samuel, I could actually see Samuel saying it like this. He said, Saul, don't you know who you are? You're the king of Israel. How come you're acting this way? I feel like Samuel's even making a plea to him. What are you doing? You're no better than this. You're the king of Israel. You have all authority. Why are you doing these things? The Bible says that he spared the king and he built a monument to himself. I really believe that he did those two things so that he could validate his position as king because in here he didn't believe it. He kept king so that all the people could see that he had conquered another nation and he could see that this king of a whole another nation was submitted to him. And he built, I believe, this monument to himself so that everyone could see that he was the king, so that he could feel validated. If he had just trusted that he was king over Israel when God anointed him, he would not have found himself in this situation, in the situation of 1 Samuel 13. If you remember when we talked about um, and the truth will set you free. We looked at 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. And it, in that, just to paraphrase, we learned that we come against um, things that, that we, it says, we destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is the battle. And I want you to remember, recapping right now. The battle we were fighting is the lies of the enemy. And Saul, because he did not defeat, defeat the, the lie of the enemy in his mind, in his heart, that he, was, that he was less than king, he found himself in this situation. Even though he was king, he held a belief about himself that did not line up with reality the way that we believe lives that don't line up re with reality. And as a result, he rebelled against the Lord. Look at what um, Samuel told, told him in verse 18. He says, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote everyone, the destruction of the sinners, the Malachites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Verse 19, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you not pounce on the, why did you pounce on the spoil and do what is evil in the sight of the Lord? Look at verse 20. Look, even after all this, look at Saul's response. And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought the king back, yes, and I've devoted the Malachites to destruction. He be then begins to believe that God actually told him to do this, to bring the king back. He says, I brought the king. He's not even confessing that this is wrong anymore. He's saying, I brought the king back. I've done what you wanted me to do, and I have devoted them to destruction. This one thing to know you're dis and this is so dangerous. It's one thing to know when you're disobeying the Lord. It's a whole nother thing to, to not know you're disobeying the Lord. And that's a very dangerous place. And we have to fight to, to come to this place where we think we're obeying the Lord, we're actually disobeying him. Look at Saul's, re Saul's reply. Samuel replied, verse 22. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Look at verse 23. For rebellion is a sin of divination. Divination is another word for witchcraft. 
and presumption is as iniquity. To presume that what you're supposed to do without asking the Lord is like iniquity, sin, and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Samuel asks all a question, what's more important, obedience or sacrifice? Saul thought he was doing a good thing because he said, I'm going to take these animals and I'm going to sacrifice it to the Lord. I'm going to do these things and God's going to be pleased. He said, I can do this for the Lord. But you know why, the God, why God called it rebellion? He called it rebellion because even though sacrifices were going to him, Saul in his heart was rebelling against the Lord and what he wanted. This is why, why Samuel said, um, this is why Samuel said, hey, you are, he said, what's better that you sacrifice all these animals? And I'm sure there was a lot of great animals to sacrifice to the Lord. What's better to sacrifice these things or to surrender to the Lord? Whether we realize it or not, we will do things in our lives to appease the Lord except what he's asking us to do. I remember about three or four years ago, I was laying down in bed and I, um, I was, something had just happened that evening and, and uh, with a friend of mine, I just had a conversation with a friend of mine and, and I was talking to her about how, you know, the only thing we need to do to be saved is just to listen to the Lord. We just have to listen to the Lord. We don't have to jump through hoops. We have to do these things. And while I was having this conversation in my head, the Lord just kind of just interrupted my, my conversation. He said, there's one thing, okay, you say all you have to do is just do what I'm asking you to do. He said, did you know there's one thing that you haven't done that I've asked you to do since you were 16 and you haven't done it yet? And I was probably like 27, 28. And the Lord reminded me how he had told me from that early age to seek him in the morning, to get up early, a specific time was six in the morning, and to pray and to spend time with him. And, I, and God brought this. I never really understood this passage like this until this, this conversation with the Lord. And he said, what you have been doing is you've been getting, you've been getting up whenever you wanted because you were tired. And you say, hey, at lunch, I'll, I'll fast. I'll fast lunch. Or tonight, I'll spend an hour with you. When I was just going to spend 30 minutes in the morning, I'll spend an hour. I'll spend two hours. He says, you have consistently been making sacrifices to me, and I'm tired of it. I want you to do what I'm asking you to do and stop making sacrifices. I remember one thing he said. He said, I am not going to talk to you at any other part of the day until you meet with me in the morning. He said, I'm tired of it. You're actually rebelling against me. You think you're doing a good thing. You think you're doing more, but you're not doing anything. You're rebelling against me. All of us find ourselves in situations where we make excuses about why we shouldn't do this or shouldn't do that. And we instead say, Lord, I'll give you this. God is saying, God, to some of us, God is saying, hey, you're spending too much time in that hobby. Hey, you're spending too many hours at work. And you're saying, no, God, if I just make more money, I'll tithe more, I'll do these things. God is saying, I don't need your money. I just need your obedience. If you would just come under my authority, trust me, I can multiply those sacrifices that you think are bringing me glory or helping my kingdom. They're not helping me. If you would just surrender to me. And Saul found himself in the situation. He thought, if I could just sacrifice all these things, if I could just make up for not <clears throat> obeying the Lord, then God will accept me. And God said, he sent Samuel, said, he said, because, he says, um, because you have rejected me, I'm going to reject you. I'm going to read verse 24, uh, 24, 25 real quick. This is what, this is what Saul said. He said, said, yes, he eventually said, I've sinned. 
for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Verse 25. He says, but now please forgive my sin, pardon my sin, and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. He says, I don't want to, I don't want, I want to save face. I want people to look at me a different way. Would you come with me? Remember, he responded to the Philistines. He responded to his own people, why he took King Agag, took the best of the sheep. He says, will you come before, would you come with me so I don't look, so I'm not disgraced before the people. Verse 26, Samuel said, Samuel said, I will not go back with you. Since you have rejected the Lord's command, he is rejecting you as king of Israel. Because Saul did not come under authority, God said, I can't trust you. I can't trust you. Because he didn't come under authority, he lost authority. And that's the story, that's the story of King Saul.